Thank you. By show of hands, how many people here have no idea who I am? Raise it. Yep, that hurts. <laughs> so with all those accolades and all the things that go on, I was aware of that situation. So what I'm gonna do for the first 10 minutes here is give you a little background. I apologize to those who have seen it a few times, but I think it matters because so many of you don't know who I am, and I think the biggest thing that matters to me is to create context with you because once you understand where I come from, how I got to this moment, I think it's gonna deploy and matter to a lot of people in this room, and I think it maps to where I think the opportunity is for so many of you in the marketplace today. So I was born in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. I came to the US when I was three. Um, I lived in a studio apartment with my family in Queens, New York. Big ups. Uh, <laughs> we were super poor. Uh, there was uh, eight family members in a studio. It was really tough. My dad uh, got a bunch of side jobs. It was the late 70s for, this is a young crew, but the economy wasn't good. And, uh, and my dad got a job as a stock boy in a liquor store in Clark, New Jersey. He eventually became the manager of that store. And we moved to uh, Edison, New Jersey when he did that. I like this cheering everything. <laughs> I can get into this. Uh, when I moved to Edison, uh, I was five, six. That's when I started my entrepreneurial career. When I was six years old, I had a six lemonade stand franchise, uh, which meant I was good enough at selling, aka manipulating my friends into staying behind the lemonade stands all day while I would go around and make signs and put them on trees. I'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, I used to ride my big wheels bike at the end of the day to pick up my cash like I was little Tony Soprano. So that was how it started, it was good. Actually, you know what? I think a lot of you would appreciate this. This is actually a better way to go. I always tell the story as that being my first business because the truth is I'm actually embarrassed of the first business that I ever really did have. But six months prior to that business, I started a separate business which was I went into people's yards, I ripped their flowers out of their yard, I rang their doorbell and I sold it back to them. <laughs> Great margin. Um, and the reason I wanted to tell you this story is I'm about to get in on the back end of this talk into a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings, a lot of community, a lot of technology, but I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm very grounded in being a salesman and a businessman, but I think there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. I think it's a bad way to rip people's flowers out and sell it to them. I think I got better along the way, and I think I continue to get better, and to be very honest, in the competitive landscape that so many of you play in today, I actually do believe the good marketing and selling has become disproportionately valuable in a sea of bad, and it is the separating point. The problem is, is that 95% of this audience, and look, this is where I start getting unpopular. I did a lot of homework before I came to this talk because I knew there would be a lot of people, I was excited about it. So I've been doing some homework over the last three or four months, actually, uh, following the hashtags, following your social media presence, um, and the truth is, Punchline is I think 95% of the people here are just not working hard enough. I think a lot of people like to cry about stuff. <laughs> oh, Facebook changed the algorithm on you. Tough. It's the market. That's what happens. We'll get to that in a minute. My entrepreneurial career 
took a great shift when I was 12 and 13. When I was 12, 13, I was selling baseball cards in all the malls of New Jersey for all the 35 to 45-year-old males probably in this room. You might remember a big, big deal back then. It was the, it was the Pokemon Go of that moment. Um, and, uh, and it was great. And, and listen, when you're, when you're making two to $3,000 a weekend and you're 14 years old, and you're putting you know, $25,000 in cash under your bed, and you're not selling weed, you're doing a good job. So that was probably, I, my goal in life is to buy the New York Jets, which is gonna cost me several billions of dollars, but I do believe that the richest I will ever be in my life is when I had $25,000 when I was 14, because you just don't know what to do with all that money. Um, and so that was great, and then my dad ruined my life. At this point, my dad, very much my hero, um, with my mom, I Am Perfectly Parented, a new book that I'm writing, How to Raise an Entrepreneur. Um, my dad ruined my life. I was making two, $3,000 a weekend, my own boss, living large, and turned 14, and oldest son, immigrant family, born in the old country. My dad now has a small liquor store in Springfield, New Jersey. As he saved up all his money and worked hard, he drags me into the business, and he pays me two bucks an hour to bag ice for 15 hours a day. So, how many people here by show of hands saw the movie The Goonies? Great. So for two years of my life, every weekend, every summer vacation, and I mean all of them. How many of you remember the last day of school, you would have a half day? Recall, right? My, my parents were so gangster, they would pick me up on my half day of the last school and drive me to the store to work. Like, zero days, zero vacation days. I would work all the time, and for two of those years, the reason I referenced the Goonies, basically I was chained to the basement of my dad's liquor store like I was sloth. <laughs> Finally, I turned 16, I was allowed upstairs. <laughs> and something very interesting happened. Uh, it was the early, early-ish 90s. I started realizing people were getting into wine. And Wine Library, was what I had in mind. What happened was my dad's store, Shoppers Discount Liquors, was in an affluent area of New Jersey, so people were coming and asking for wine even though we sold beer and liquor. And finally, somewhere around when I was 16, six months into being upstairs, somebody came in and asked for a bottle of wine. Then somebody else came in and asked for that bottle of wine. Then somebody else came in and asked for that bottle of wine. Finally, the fourth guy came in, I said, I said, what's going on with this Camus Cabernet? He said, it was just named the wine of the year by the Wine Spectator. I said, okay. People kept coming in, we were sold out, coming in. Finally, 20 people have come in. They're all coming in, we don't have it, they're leaving. Seems like a bad business model. I say to myself, you know what? The next person that comes in, I'm gonna take a back order, right? We don't have a back order system, but I go to school on Monday anyway and I won't have to deal with it. So, <laughs> guy comes in, goes, do you have the Camus cab? I go, no, but I'll take a back order. I go, he goes, great, name, address, phone number. I go, how many bottles would you like? He said, I'll take six cases if you can get it. I said, whoa, an alcoholic. <laughs> I said, six cases? He goes, yeah. He goes, I collect wine. And that was it. It's, you know, I don't know if you guys like smell something or hear a song, but you can be brought right back to a moment. Literally telling you this story, remembering how that guy said it, I remember what I felt in my heart, which was the following. At that point, even at 16 years old, because of all of my success, I thought I could run the business better than my dad, as any good punk entrepreneur kid should. 
but I wasn't interested in selling Budweiser or Coors Light or Absolute. I wasn't interested. And I was sad because I wanted to help because I was so thankful and grateful. Of By the way, real quick, how many people in this room are an immigrant or, or children of immigrants? It is such an advantage because, you were, because I remember feeling so thankful to be able to be in this amazing country, right? Like, I was born, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a businessman, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I was born in the worst place in the world for that, Soviet Russia, and I came to the best place for that. So I remember I felt guilty. I wanted to give back to my family business, but I wasn't interested. And at that moment, I remember thinking, oh my God, Ken Griffey Jr., Michael Jordan, Frank Thomas, Camus, Opus One, Chateau Lafitte, same crap. And so basically, I deployed all my passion of learning everything about sports into learning everything about wine. And no 17-year-old on earth should know as much as I did about Pinot Noir and Sancerre. And that's because I had one huge advantage. How many people are parents in this room? I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. My big advantage was I was a DNF student. I was a DNF student and that was very weird because if you're an immigrant in this room, you know that when you come to America, everything that you're taught is education is the way out of our poverty, right? But I was a DNF student and I mean D's and F's. Most people don't believe me anymore because of my success, so much so that I had my, my assistant last week reach out to my high school, I'm getting my report cards and I'll be posting them on Instagram for you in the next couple of weeks. Real D's and F's. And again, if you're my age group, a lot of you are younger, you're lucky. Right now, as a lot of you know, being an entrepreneur is cool. I take selfies, right? Like, it's, it's a trend. People care. When in the 90s, it wasn't. And school was the w way out. And so my D's and F's made my teachers and my friends' parents think that I was going to lose that I was a losing player. And so it's so interesting to me that the reason I know I'm successful was somewhere around fifth grade, I realized I did not give a crap about Saturn. <laughs> Algebra wasn't gonna do it for me. And so what I did was I deployed and honed my skills at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So by the time I fell in love with the notion of what that was gonna be, that was already ingrained in me. I thought I was gonna open up 8,000 wine and liquor stores, the Toys R Us of wine, sell the franchise, buy the New York Jets. Here's where the story starts getting relevant to you. I go to college, I'm playing Madden 95 in my dorm room, dominating by the way. My friend runs in and he says, you have to come and see this. I finish my game, I walk into a room and there are eight 18-year-old dudes hanging around a computer. Now, for a lot of the youngsters in this room, you don't recall this, I was 18 years old at this point and probably spent less than three hours on a computer in my life. By being a DNF student and getting an F in computer class, I was able to stay off the computer, right? This is 1994. I go in this dorm room, there's eight guys hovering around a computer. I hear for the first time in my life, coo coo <laughs> Remember that? My friend signs on. I say some profound thing like, is this the information superhighway? <laughs> my friends load up an AOL chat room. 
they type in ASL. There's some 35-year-olds in here. That was a snap back in the day. We talked to Make Pretend Girls for five hours. We, we were, for three of those hours, Make Pretend Girls ourselves. We're doing our thing. I literally get my turn. We're like hanging out. Like for the youngsters in here, we hung out and watched people on the internet. I got my turn. I get on there. In eight minutes, somehow, I end up on a message bulletin board in AOL that's selling and buying baseball cards. In 14 minutes, I make a transaction. Within 20 minutes of ever being on the internet, I said, my God, I don't need to open up 8,000 stores. I'm gonna do something on this. 18 months later, I launched one of the first three e-commerce wine businesses in America called winelibrary.com. Don't clap. Here's why. The first 18 months that that site ran, that site cost $15,000 to build. We were a small family business. $15,000 to build that website. In the first 18 months, because I was still at school, I wasn't fully back at the liquor store. In the first 18 months on that $15,000 investment in 1996, 7, 8 internet world, where most people still weren't on it, that $15,000 investment brought back $480 in sales. I don't know how many of you have a Soviet father, <laughs> but Sasha Vaynerchuk was not happy with the ROI. <laughs> it was one of the more important lessons I've learned in business. The disproportional reason so many people in here will not win. Let's just get right to the chase. The disproportionate reason that most people in this room will not win is actually not the hard work, which is what I'm gonna talk about probably for the next 45 minutes. It's your lack of patience. For some unknown reason, when people go into ventures like this and other things, they somehow miraculously think it's gonna happen in five minutes that you're the one person in the world, whatever you guys call your big club and put posters of each other up on, you think you're gonna be in that circle in five minutes for some reason, because you're the most charismatic, you've figured out some weird system, you've got it. And the lack of patience is what hurts so many people. And so, by losing so much money in those first 18 months, I had walking into a system that I had to be patient, I had to build, I had to work. From 22 to 30 years old, for eight years, in my 20s, I worked 15 hours a day, seven days a week, in my dad's liquor store. Today, with all the things that have happened to me, I get emails on Facebook from friends I went to high school with, often starting with, Gary, you're so lucky. I reply to every single one of them, all of them, with the reply of an opening line first, Jan, great to see you again. You look great, kid's super cute. P.S. I am super not lucky. Let me remind you, Rick, remember when we graduated college and you went to the Jersey Shore every weekend and hooked up with chicks and drank beer? I worked. Rick.
in those 15, 18 hours a day out of school, I grew my dad's business from a three to a $60 million business, which meant I was 27 years old running a $60 million business, and I was paying myself $54,000 a year. You know why? Because I'm patient. Because I don't need a cool watch. I don't need a fat whip. I want to build something. And one of the other biggest things that pisses me off about everybody that's been crying about the Facebook feed, let me tell you what happened when the Facebook feed changed. The single, follow me here, the single greatest advertising product in the last 50 years was built. But instead of taking a thousand of the $6,000 you've made doing this and buying Facebook ads with it and then making $12,000, you cried. Thank you, have a nice night. <laughs> Let me tell you how I built that business and what I want you to get out of this talk that brings you value. The only thing that we are all connected by, no matter what you do for a living inside of this game, other games, if you go on to do something else, you start a shoe company, remember this, if you remember anything from this talk, this is how you will win, I'm convinced, it's been the same game for everybody, Patience, hard work, talent matters. Nobody's gonna watch your live stream if you suck crap. <laughs> All those things matter. All those things matter. However, this is the one thing that is my religion in the game that I play that brings disproportionate value, which is the following. Remember the one thing that connects all of us, the one thing that binds us all, what you do for a living, your relatives, your friends, you can all kumbaya around this one thing. The only thing we all want and fight for is somebody's attention. We all have to get your attention. Before you tell me how great your system's gonna work, or how awesome and delicious your product is, or how great your abs are, before you do any of that, you need my attention. And what I do for a living is I day trade attention. I follow attention. And the funny thing about that game is you can't be romantic about where you want the attention to be. You just have to reverse engineer where it actually is. Let me explain. In 1997, when I launched winelibrary.com, I went on a mission to collect every single person's email that ever walked into that liquor store. And if I was out and about at a baseball game, I asked for business cards and I want your email. And all and every day, all I cared about in the world was getting somebody's email to put them on Wine Library's email service. In 1998, I had 150,000 people on an email newsletter. How many people here have done email marketing in their career? Raise your hands. Hi. Quite a few, good. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. In 1997, I had 150,000 people on my email newsletter that had 91% open rates. Just to let everybody understand, right now if you're in the 30s, you're a hero. But it wasn't because I was so great in 1997 that my content was so great, it was that nobody else was doing email marketing. I understood where the attention was and I understood that it was underpriced. While other people did direct mail and billboards and radio and did catalogs to your house, I understood that email was emerging I was gonna gather. How many people had email back in 1998, 1999, 2000? Raise your hands. So for the youngsters, watch this. Do you remember how we treated email in 1998? We read 
every single email and every word like it was a goddamn letter. And because I had that attention, I was able to build a very big business. Then I moved on. There was something called Google. I looked at it. I saw this new ad product where if you searched for a wine, you could buy the first result. That was insane to me. I thought that was incredible. And so I bought the word wine and many other words like Cabernet and Pinot Noir the day Google AdWords started. Uh, how many people here have done Google AdWords in their career? Very nice. I owned the word wine the day Google AdWords started for five cents a click for nine months before anybody bid me up. And that worked. And I kept going and then my career took a massive change that I think will really impact a lot of people in this room if you follow this blueprint. There was a new website out that I was intrigued by. It was called YouTube. Everybody in the world was really not ready for online video. It hadn't happened yet. I've been wanting to like play in that space. I finally saw this site, YouTube. It was a couple months old. There was not a single video on YouTube that had a million views yet, period, on the whole platform. So seven months after YouTube came out, I started Wine Library TV, which was the first time I was doing content, not advertising. And the premise of the show was very simple. I sat at my desk with four bottles of wine and I had somebody videotape me drinking it for 20 straight minutes. <laughs> it was a great gig. And somehow a year later, hundreds of thousands of people watched me taste wine and give my thoughts. And what I did was I understood the wine business at that point. I understood my craft at that point. How many people here have a friend or relative that is fairly into wine? Raise your hands. So you guys know exactly what I know, which is the second somebody gets just a little bit of wine knowledge, they become a straight jerk off. <laughs> You're drinking the wrong year, shut up. So what I did was by knowing that, I talked to people about wine instead of down to them. I talked about wine the way it actually smelled and tasted to me instead of the words on the back of the label. I called wines, you know, this reminds me of what a racquetball smells like when you first open the container. Or if I ate an entire pack of Big League Chew and swallowed it, this is what this tastes like. Or when it didn't go as well, if you were at a farm and a sheep farted in your face, this is what this wine tastes like. What I'm about to tell you, and I'm noticing some people are into notes, this is a very important moment of this talk. When I asked my stock guy to go to Best Buy to buy the camera for Wine Library TV, while he went to the store and was coming back, what I thought I was about to sit down and do in February of 2006 was build the QVC of wine. I was gonna be on camera and I was gonna sell you wine. And then the first episode happened, literally the first one. The light goes on, and because I understood where the internet was going, I realized, my God, this is gonna be online forever. And this is gonna work. And I'm gonna get big. And if I go to a party and somebody says, what do you think about this wine? And I taste it and I'm like, terrible. And they go, but you said it was awesome on Wine Library TV. I could be crushed. And so, from the first episode of Wine Library TV, I separated the content from the business. In fact, I had so many hardcore fans, one kid at MIT 
who loves math and data, mapped my rating on every wine on that show. And on that show, over a thousand episodes that I did over five and a half years, I panned 71% of the wines that were on that show. Wines that I was selling in my store, I was telling you not to buy because I realized it was better off for me to become America's wine guy than it was for me to sell you an extra case of Pinot Noir. The reason I want a lot of you to pay attention to this because over the last week, as I've been looking at the Instagram hashtags for Beachbody and this summit and things of that nature, when I've gone down the rabbit hole of your Instagram accounts and your Facebook fan pages, that is not the percentage of what people are putting out there. The majority of it is what I would call a right hook. I wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. Give, 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 and then ask. Put out content that actually brings value, but don't be scared to ask. You know, the funny thing is, you would think based on the tone that I'm talking right now that I wrote the book to get people to throw more jabs. Ironically, I wrote the book because I saw a lot of people in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12 do a good job on social media, but not know how to ask for the business. They were just putting out content. A lot of people email me, they're struggling. I look, I'm like, what's wrong? It's so good. And I'm like, wait a minute, have they not asked for the business? Like. It's very appropriate to have people sign up, buy, as long as you can provide so much value that you basically guilt them into buying. Basically my entire life is predicated on providing so much value that I guilt you into buying my stuff, but even more importantly, because I'm already good, I just kind of want you to come to my funeral, right? And when you think about that, and when you make that your strategy, you go into a different place. Wine Library TV changed my career. YouTube sells for $2 billion. I freak out and go, Jesus, I've been right about everything where consumers are going. This has to be bigger than just selling a couple more cases of Pinot Noir. And that's when I decided that I would invest in companies. I said, the next time I feel something like e-com or email or Google AdWords or, yeah, or YouTube, I'm gonna invest. I went to South by Southwest 2007. Everybody was talking about this app called Twitter. Everybody thought it was the stupidest thing of all time because who cares if you're walking the dog or eating pizza? I thought it was the future of email. I invested in Twitter. I made a video about it. Facebook saw it. I spoke at Facebook. I became friends with Zucks. I invested in Facebook. And then I saw a bunch of high school kids playing on Tumblr and I invested in Tumblr. I'm rich. But why I tell you that story is that's when my career started taking, well, I'm telling you that story because I wanted to brag, but I, I, I'm telling you that story because that's when my career started saying, my God, what I do is day trade attention. Now I'm gonna make this talk very valuable to you. I'm gonna go through everything that I know you're going through, platform by platform, and I'm gonna give you really good advice. I run a company right now called VaynerMedia. We're a $100 million a year strategy and creative and media agency. We have Under Armour and Toyota and Dove and Budweiser and the biggest brands in the world paying us to sell stuff on the internet. Let's start with a couple things that you need to know. Social media, it doesn't exist. It's a slang term. Social media is the slang term for the current state of the internet. If you are sitting in this crowd and still not devoted to these platforms, you will lose. Because the only thing that people care about in marketing and sales that are smart and successful is attention. 
And if you don't realize that everybody's attention is now in their phone, you are not paying attention to society. How many people in this room, in this arena, <laughs> how many people in this arena are always within arm's reach of their cell phone in every 24-hour window? Look around. Keep them up. Keep them up. Look at this. We're becoming robots. We'll get into that later. Over 50% of everybody's time in the world on a phone is spent on a social network. Besides the games you're playing, maybe Pokemon Go's changed that a little bit. Besides the games you're playing and the things that nature, this is where we live. And for you to sit in this audience and disrespect Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, all these platforms is an insane thing. More importantly, it's just beginning. Everything we know, everything we play in, didn't exist 10 years ago. How many people here are retiring within the next 10 years? And I don't mean you're gonna crush it and go live on an island. I mean you're old and you're finished. <laughs> My man. You still look good though. I'll come and fish with you. This dude, get, this dude gets a pass. For the rest of you, you have to understand, we are just starting. This is the biggest communication shift in our society since the printing press. You have 50-year-old men sitting in this audience right now who texted a poop emoji last night. What happens, you have to understand, is that when these platforms are formed, we age down our society. How many people in this room said they would never be on Snapchat and now are, don't lie, lying is the devil? Look at the hands. Look, I want people to look around. Actually, you know what? Stand up. Let's do this right now. Stand up right now. Stand up. Don't get lazy on me. You're supposed to be athletic. Stand up. Stand up right now if you, not, not generally, if you, if you said you would never be on Snapchat and you now are, stand up. If you didn't do that, sit back down. I need you to look around this room. I need you to look around this room before everybody sits down because this is basically my entire keynote in visual form. I am going to buy the New York Jets on one thesis. I'm going to invest time and money in the places that you say that you're not going to be that I know you're going to be in. You can sit down. Next year, 50% more of this audience will be on that platform. There is so much opportunity going on, and what happens is, did I cry when my email newsletter went from 91% to 30% over a decade? No, I did not. Did I cry that I spent seven years building my Twitter following to 1.3 million followers by, as many of you know, how many people here have I replied to on social media? Raise your hands. One by one by one by one and engaging. Did I cry that when I had 5,000 followers on Twitter and I tried to sell a book or wine or somebody to do something with me, that I could get more people when I had 50, let's really call it right, when I had 50,000 followers on Twitter, I could get more people to do something than I can today at 1.3 million followers on Twitter. It's why when you roll up at me and go, I have this many followers, I don't give a crap. It doesn't matter how many followers you have, it matters how many followers you have that care. 
You're not paying the bills with 100,000 Instagram followers that you bought on eBay, jerk. So, I didn't cry that Twitter was losing its grip. That was a big run for me. That's where most of you met me and understood me. That's where I built my brand. It was huge for me. But in 2011, you can go watch the videos because they're out there. I was 30 pounds heavier and pretty angry that Twitter was going away. I could taste it. The attention was slipping. Even though I had 700,000, 1.1 million followers, I was losing it. I could tell. And so I made investments in where I thought the platforms were going. Some worked, Instagram, Snapchat, some didn't, Vine, social cam. But the one thing I wasn't crippled by was putting in the work. The one thing I wasn't crippled by was putting in the work. And let me tell you the part of the work that I put in that I think a lot of you need to consider. On the flight here this morning, I looked at the last 50 tweets and profiles of people in the audience right now. On their Instagram accounts, they put out content. 15 people comment, 11 people comment, 29 people comment, 67 people comment. And of the 50 people I audited to give fresh data for this talk, not one, goose egg, double zero, Robert Parrish, not one, not one of the 50 people in this audience engaged to one of the people that left a comment, not one follow-up, zero. Because we've become, in a social media world, pushers. We talk, but we don't listen. And that is where all the action is. If you take one different tact from this talk, and I'm doing this selfishly because I want you to email me in a year because you're going to make more money. And I want you to say, thanks. If you do one tactical thing, we're talking theory, I'm giving you tactical. Do me a favor. Instead of going on a 20-week ab program or you want to get your butt up and squat or whatever, instead of that program, do my program. Reply to every single person that leaves a comment on any social media that you put out for one year and watch the money grow. Do that plan. Problem is, that takes work. Problem is, to win, you've got to stop watching entire seasons of House of Cards. That is the variable. But the attention is there. Crying about Facebook, let me tell you about 50 people that jumped on Snapchat in January and are making 10 times the money in whatever game they're playing because they're arbitraging Snapchat while Facebook's going through. Crying about Facebook, be a business and not be an income eater. Instead of buying a nice thing with the money you make from this, why don't you take that money and deploy it against Facebook ads because the word wine was five cents a click when I started and now it's nine bucks. And at three bucks it was good. And at seven bucks, it wasn't. As we sit in this arena today, right this minute, the number one way that I would build every one of your businesses is Facebook ads. I love Snapchat, I love Instagram, I love a lot of things. The number one guaranteed way for every single person in this room to make more money is Facebook ads. The problem is, a lot of people in here are headline readers and not practitioners. You have opinions of Facebook ads, but you never really run a campaign at scale. And so that, to me, is fascinating. And by the way, you know, when I do these kind of talks, especially in a big room like this, I'm not going to be able to answer your follow-up questions. Everybody always asks me, okay, Gary, you got me. You were so great energy. You're super handsome, and I'm super pumped, and I really want to do this. And so what do I do? So I'm going to tell you what to do off of anything you hear from me 
in headline and you want to go get the details. Like, again, and I'm going to pound it into your face until you succumb, Facebook ads will make you a lot more money if you deploy the ads and if you learn it, which means, you know, 27 to 30 year, year old males that live in, you know, Omaha, Nebraska that are into fitness. There's a lot of skill. Omaha. <laughs> what up? Whatever you decide to target. I feel like just randomly saying, Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chattanooga's like, us? <laughs> Can't believe he said that. Facebook ads, Facebook ads, Facebook ads. Let me tell you the one thing that you need to do off of this talk, if I talk, because when I get into other things like musically and other places, you're going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? There's a site you should go to after you hear things from me if you want to get more deeper information on it. I'll let you get your pens. It's um, G-O-O-G-L-E. Google. Do you know how many of you piss me off so much when you come up to me and say, Gary, but I don't know how to run Instagram ads. Figure it out, Peter. Like, like, what's the matter with you guys? <laughs> Gary, I didn't grow up with this social media stuff. I don't know what to do. Hey, Rick, you didn't grow up driving. You figured it out. And so, what does this all really come down to? It's very, very basic. If you look at every business that has ever succeeded, every single one of them, there are a couple of core principles. First of all, your product. If your product sucks, the greatest marketing in the world will not fix it, right? You guys, in this model, are not in charge of that, so we need to move to the next thing. Let's assume that's in place. Sure seems that way, right? Let's go to the next place. Attention. You have to know where it is, and preferably, you need to know where it's underpriced. Do Instagram advertising four years ago when taking a picture of your butt and your abs worked? Good, because less people did it. Now everybody does it? doesn't work as much. When it's every third photo on Instagram, you're not going to stand out. It's not going to work. You may, it may work for people that like to look at it, but they're probably not going to buy your stuff. And so, understanding where attention is and then trading it. To me, right now, the greatest deals in order. Facebook ads. I'm sorry the organic reach went away. Let me just give you a punchline. No advertising is free. Tell me where the alternative, what, are you going to call your local TV station and they're going to run your commercial for free? What, you're going to call the Chattanooga Press and they're going to put a full page ad for you and your service for free? For the people that did Google AdWords, you guys think you've been hurt by the Facebook algorithm? Go talk to the homies in digital marketing that used to rely only on Google when Google would change their algorithm and people would lose a million dollars overnight and go from the first page result of diet to page 97 and have nothing. So that's not that hardcore. The other thing, Facebook, Facebook ads. Number two best deal in the market. Instagram influencers. You may think of yourself that way and that's great. You may have a good following, but so do a ton of other people and you can email them. They all love to put their Gmail in their Instagram profile because they can't wait for you to call them and offer them some money. Sponsored content 
through influencers is an extremely strong arbitrage. Again, it is my great belief, because I've spoken to so many, and I've watched so many, and I've paid attention, we're not investing in our business. We want our time and our content to drive our business, but when we get the money, we wanna go buy stuff. We wanna go put it in the corner. We don't put it back into our business. And that is the grave mistake of so many of you in this room today. So whether you deploy that against Facebook ads or Instagram, influencers, both are enormous arbitrages that can build your business. Because remember, the content is the variable, but you have your story, right? Other people have their stories. The number one thing you shouldn't do is make up your story, because that's how you lose. So you need other stories. You've got to figure that out. Got it? Next, Snapchat, telling you guys right now, and you know, in 2012, 13, there's a video I have online where I yell at the audience and I say, you're all gonna be on Snapchat, you just don't realize it. And I believed it and I believed it, and obviously a lot of people probably remember, in November, December, and January of this last year and into this year, the DJ Khaled phenomenon happened, brought a lot more awareness. Over the last six months, it has gotten so much older whereas everybody thought it was like sexting for 15-year-olds, I think everybody now understands it's not. And exactly what happened in Facebook, I used to go and talk in 2006 and 7, say Facebook, 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 and everyone's like, that's college. And I was like, you don't understand. When an entire generation of people take on a platform, as they age up and their lives change, they drag people down. I called it at the time in 2007, the grandma rule. I felt that when the kids of Facebook, the early 20s, would start having children and put their pictures on Facebook, that grandma was gonna sign up for Facebook. It's happening faster now. Do you know what the fastest growing category on Instagram of people that take selfies are? 40 to 50 year old women. Cougar selfies. The way we are eating, the way we work out, the way we dress, everybody in here right now, if you can think of how old you are, if you're lucky enough to have known your parents at the age you are right now, and you can think about them, you are dramatically younger in your behavior and appearance and the way you roll. That's what's happening. Technology is bringing us down, down, the age downification. And my friends, the stakes are high with what I'm talking about because what is really exciting is the next 10 years, these Snapchat, Facebooks, these, mu how many people familiar with Musical.ly, which means you have an eight to 14 year old girl in your life? <laughs> these things are popping up, there's opportunities. There's a real opportunity. Who's gonna be the first 20 people here to figure out what old people do on Musical.ly? I'm trying to figure it out because the attention's there and there's opportunity. But no, you debate dumb things like, is it a fad? Will Snapchat be here in two years? Who gives a crap, it's here now. Nobody cares when the number one show on TV, Empire or American Idol, is number one. They run commercials during it, and if it's canceled three years later, who cares? You run it somewhere else. While you sit and debate, is Snapchat gonna be here? Or how long more? Or what to do on it? While you sit and ponder, you're squandering real money. Real money. So, here we are halfway through the year. Facebook changed their algorithm. A lot of you relied on that the world, a lot of people in the world relied on that, and what they've done for the first six months of this year is a couple different things. Strategy number one, complain. Strategy number two, 
they have to change it back. We're all going to leave. Yeah. Instead of figuring out the ad product, instead of investing in what's going on in Snapchat, instead of trying to create video content on Periscope or Facebook Live, either you're on the offense or you're on the defense. And you've gotta make that decision as you sit here today, which part of this game are you gonna be on? Because what you have to understand is the attention of the end consumer is shifting faster and faster. $90 billion spent on television commercials by my clients at Budweiser, Dove, Toyota, all these platforms, right? Follow me here because this is gonna get really important to you. Because a lot of people are like, who cares? That's different. It's very different. They spend a lot of money on television. Watch this. By show of hands, how many of you in this audience now, when you watch TV, outside of live sports, watch it on your time, not when it actually airs, through Netflix, HBO Go, DVR, TiVo, raise your hands. Oh weird, everybody. And how many of you fast forward every single commercial when given the chance? Oh weird, everybody. And even if you're lucky enough, from the advertiser's standpoint, to get a commercial in front of you for let's say, I don't know, you dropped the remote control off your bed. (laughs) Let's say if they're even that lucky, even if they're that lucky, the second a commercial gets on, you grab your cell phone and you check your work, you look at your social, you do not give attention to what you're watching. Attention. Commercials aren't dead, people watch TV People don't consume television commercials. Got it? And then, what really makes me angry with you guys, and this is, when I say you guys, I don't mean you, I mean everybody on earth. <laughs> is you do things as a businesswoman and man that is in your best interest, but then you as a human, when you live, you would never succumb to that. You would never click a banner ad. You don't want a bullcrap social media ad either, but you do it because that's what you want to happen on your end, but as a user, you would never do that. And in that balance is where all the magic is. Why does the TV numbers that we just saw matter? Why does the following, guys, do you know that billboard prices are up 15% in the last five years? Billboards, outside billboards, right? Meanwhile, every person here, when they're the passenger in a car, is looking at their phone. Nobody's looking at billboards. Just common sense, billboards are not as, as a matter of fact, by the way, real quick, when you leave this conference, do me one favor. Look at five people driving when you get to the airport and go home. Just look into five cars. I promise you the following. Every passenger is looking at their phone and three out of the five drivers are looking at their phone. You guys have scared me so much, I've been doing this for marketing. I'm now driving with two hands again for the first time because I don't trust you jerks. My friends, People aren't looking at billboards, they're not even looking at the road. And when we have self-driving cars, that game is over. So where's the billions of dollars from billboards going? Where's the almost trillion dollars, hundred billion dollars of television money gonna go? How many people here can't wait to leave this conference, go home, get to their mailbox, and carefully go through their direct mail? You're weird, lady. Tell me where those billions of dollars are gonna go. Let me save you guys all a lot of time. In the next five to seven, 10 years, tens of billions of dollars from the biggest companies in the world are gonna go into these digital properties. 
and the word wine goes from five cents a click to 10 bucks. And a Facebook ad that I was running 24 months ago that cost me 50 cents to reach 1,000 people is now costing me four bucks. And right now you can compete with yourselves in that world, but when Coca-Cola comes, and when Toyota comes, and when the NFL comes, your numbers are not gonna be as good. You're gonna be paying $88 a person to sign up instead of $8. So you can either act now and grab away, or you can continue to complain, debate, ponder, and not educate yourself. For you to be a self-serving coach entrepreneur sitting in this room and have not spent the one hour to either read or watch a YouTube video of how to actually place a Facebook ad, which I know, you know what, let's do this for each other. I'm gonna ask you to do something right now. You're not gonna wanna do it. How many people here, by show of hands, have never placed a Facebook ad? Raise your hands. It's gonna be higher. And how many of those people haven't even spent one hour in learning how to do that? Please tell me the truth for each other. It's unacceptable. Let me phrase, it's acceptable if you do zero complaining and you're super pumped. If you're happy, I got nothing for you. But I'm just very, very taken aback as somebody who really believes that you have to sacrifice if you want. Guys, think about this for five seconds. You have the audacity to be here today with the ambition to live life on your terms. You sit here and you have the audacity. You're gonna be the very small 1% of people that can live unbelievably on your terms. Guys, the top 1% income makers in America, the bottom of that number is $400,000 a year. If you make $400,000 a year, you are in the 1% earners in this very competitive country, right? And that's a lot, a lot of money, but I think a lot of people think a million dollars is before it gets good, it's crazy. We have to reframe entrepreneurship. If you want $100,000 a year, you sit in this room today and you have the audacity, I hope you're running to run Facebook ads. <laughs> you sit in this room and you have the audacity to want to live on your terms, to not work for anybody else, to support your entire livelihood on you, right? When I hear that, and I know that you play Candy Crush, and I know that you have Netflix on 24-7, and I know that you've been in 48 parks this weekend trying to find Pikachu, And I, by the way, I believe in work-life balance. There's a lot more to life. Family, leisure, do it, right? But, but, you want to live on your terms. <laughs> you want to be able to do all these great things and have all this stuff, and you don't know how to run Facebook ads? And you haven't signed up for a Snapchat account? Do you understand as an entrepreneur, you benefit from signing up for those accounts just to learn, even if it's not successful for you? I signed up for social cam, spent lots of hours, it died, I got nothing from it. But when Snapchat came along and Instagram video came along, the things I learned by creating content on social cam provided me the advantage that I needed to make all the dollars I have. And so, you said something great, I'll talk to you outside. And so, I just genuinely, as I wrap up here, really wanna focus on work ethic. 
You cannot go home from this trip to all the lovely places you live and muster up more talent. You can get better at what you do, right? I'm not gonna go home and shoot so many basketballs that I'm gonna be in the NBA, right? I could become a better pickup player, but nobody here is gonna go home and all of a sudden become dramatically more charismatic, a better storyteller. You can't go home and do that. You can get slightly better, but your DNA is your DNA. But everybody here can go home and work one more hour and work two more hours. It's just real. The reason I push it, and by the way, the whole like immigrants do well, it's because that's what they do. They just don't do anything else. When you come with nothing and you live in crap, you just work every goddamn minute. And then all of a sudden, 13 years later, something good happens. And I just genuinely want that for people to understand. Look yourself in the mirror in your hotel room tonight and say, are you putting in the work that supports the words that are coming out of your mouth? My buddies always tell me, I'm gonna be a millionaire. I'm like, you're on six softball teams, John. <laughs> Is your work ethic mapping the bull crap that's coming out of your mouth. Because you talk a good game. You all talk about what you're gonna do. But then the work doesn't support it. And so the work ethic is the number one variable. Because guess what happens when you actually work three or four or five more hours a day? Because you can still sleep your six, seven hours. You can still find an hour and two with your family. You can still have a nine to five job and still have plenty of hours to work. Guess what happens? You watch the one hour YouTube video of how to place a Facebook ad. You place the Facebook ads. You look at the data. You realize what's working and not working. You find your moment. You find your segment. You find your picture and video. And you start doing business. You know what else happens when you deploy five or six more hours a day in work? You reply to all the people that say nice things about you on your Instagram account. You put in the work. You know what else happens when you work five or six more hours a day? You start making social media posts that look like this, which were very successful for me. Post your phone number. I'm gonna call you and give you value. And then you spend five hours talking to the people that decided to follow you, and through an 18-minute conversation with them, they decide to do business with you. But when you don't put in the five or six more hours, you don't. And you start relying on things like, ooh, the Facebook algorithm's been good for a couple of years. And then you wake up one morning and Zuck screws you. I have no interest in letting any platform, any move, any business dictate my future or my family's future. And the only way I know how to do that, and the only way that I know how to do that is to fundamentally outwork every single person in here. The work ethic matters. It's the part you don't want to hear, it's no different than the ad he just showed, right? No. No, there's no system. No, you're not gonna have some amazing Facebook post that's gonna get all these people into your tree and then they're gonna do the work and you're gonna be in Jamaica laying there drinking rum chata. No. You know zero people on earth that have been really successful that haven't put in the work. Zero. If they've done it themselves. If mommy and daddy gave them a crap load of money, cool. But anybody who's ever earned it, put in the work. And we live in a world right now, and let's cut to the chase. It's been so great in our country for so long, 
We're soft. We complain about dumb stuff. Lots of it. We complain. We're not grateful. We think things are going to be handed to us. Let me give you a punchline. You're a minority. You're a female entrepreneur. Your parents sucked. You grew up in a bad neighborhood. Something really bad happened to you as a kid because the neighbor's a weird dude. The market doesn't care. It's, it's not fun. That's not fun, especially the last scenario. People have bad things that happen to them. Here's the sad part. The market doesn't care. The market doesn't care. What's amazing about the American business market is if you're good enough, you win, no matter what you look like. They will buy. It's what we do. It's been proven over and over and over again. The problem also is if something's against you, you can't speak English when you first come here, da -da 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 -da, the market equally doesn't care. It will reward you, but it will not feel bad for you. And it will not penalize you, which is unbelievable. We are so, so lucky. And I just fundamentally believe that 99% of you in this room are not taking full advantage of it. Because I'm gonna leave you with something very weird. Do me a favor. Do me one favor from this talk. Go to a retirement home. I want you to go to a retirement home in the next six months and volunteer for one day. And I want you to have 10 to 15 conversations. I'm gonna tell you what to look for. It's the scariest word I've ever heard. Regret. If you talk to 90-year-olds in a retirement home, they will talk to you about regret. And what they talk about is the things they didn't do instead of the things they did. My friends, we are all going to die. And we got real lucky. I don't know if you've looked at the math, but the rarity of actually becoming a human being is unbelievable. I mean, you know, your mom could have went to go get another glass of wine. Like, the, the math for that moment to happen, you could have been a tree. You could have been a rhino. You could have been a rock. You're a human. And wait a minute, punchline, you live in America? Lotto. 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 Lotto.